Hello listeners and welcome to the third season of Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Suicide and mental health matters are global problems. To break the stigma, we need to speak out. Sharing personal mental health experiences has proven to be an effective means to provide valuable insight into suicide prevention initiatives, as well as contribute to improve care and enhance safety. One man committed to making a global difference in suicide prevention is this week's podcast guest, Stuart O'Neill. Raised in Melbourne, Australia, Stuart's mostly self-employed life has provided its fair share of highs and lows. Stuart first became an Australian surf lifesaver in the 1980s, a passion that he still fulfills to this day. His desire to save lives now includes his book, Just One Reason, a practical toolkit to avoid the taking of a life. Stuart's book takes readers on a journey of his experienced mental illness and distressed thoughts about his life. He wrote this book about how he was able to overcome his struggles and wanted to give the tools he used to others who may be experiencing similar experiences. Highly praised by readers from around the world, Just One Reason incorporates practical solutions for those struggling with thoughts of suicide. Tune in as Stuart tells us about his battle with suicidal thoughts and depression and how Just One Reason has made a difference to those battling with their mental health. Stuart O'Neill, thanks very much for joining me on the show and uh, and spending some time with our, us and sharing your story with our listeners. Thanks, Sam. Stuart, tell us a little bit about your background. It's not really professional. Like I was never a um, an academic type, so I left school before I finished year eleven. Yep. And so there's not uh, any certificates hanging on the wall. I'm trying to get some certificates at the moment, um, but there's none there in that sense. So I pretty much when I was young, I probably had I don't know. 10 different types of jobs by the time I was 20 or 22 or whatever and somehow or another I've managed to just improve bits and pieces along the way and find your feet find my feet yep good on you Stuart you obviously uh, I mean you started an amazing story movement initiative uh, just one reason tell us what was the inspiration behind it or or how did you get how did you get into it when I was in uh, in Taiwan um on some on a like on a a work trip um like a number of years ago i was over there and i received um a text message that was really really shitty and um it sort of like just floored me on the spot with what was happening in my marriage and so um i was pretty much um instantly shattered and and suicidal straight away like within i went from i wasn't to i was in a split second pretty much and so uh, while I was over there, 
part I guess part of my background is I like planning things and I'm pretty good at like getting stuff done. So if if you want something done, give it to a busy person type thing. And if you haven't if you don't know what to do or we haven't done it before, I'm still probably going to give it a good shake of getting something that I've never done before done. So so while I was over there and all of this was going on, I couldn't get home. Um, I couldn't get home straight away to like try and deal face to face with what had happened. Like it was a really shit situation. So it's in a foreign country. I was two flights away. Couldn't get home. All that sort of stuff. Lots of emotions going on. So then I started to think that um, if I did do that while I was over there, then I sort of, you know, I, I guess I started to find reasons not to. So then I'm like, how are they going to get my body home? Stuff like that. Who's going to pay for that? And then um, I'm like going, oh, I didn't want to give um, at the time, I didn't want to give um, my wife, um, what would you say, like I didn't want to give her grounds to say, I told you so, he was a nut job. So that was sort of, that became a bit of a, a thing that like if I end my life now, she'll, she'll be out there going, I told you, this is what's been going on, poor me, and all of a sudden she'll be the victim when in fact I was. So, um, so then, along she would have been right, in other words. Yeah, to to, to her circle, to her she would circle. have been right. Yeah, yeah correct. So, um, uh, so what I would pretty much decided while I was over there that if I stu- if I stepped in front of a taxi, um, then it'd just look like a traveller's accident, and my boys might think that I I died accidentally, and none of this would ever come out, and and there might be some dignity that their dad you know, died in an accident that was unfortunate and everyone's sad and then people can move on and they don't have that sort of baggage. I had all of these sorts of things uh, going through my mind and um, but effectively what was really happening, Sam, was that like I started to develop these reasons not to. I'm like, you know, because I was angry and I was hurt and then I'm like I just finished building like a cracking house and um, with my family I'm like, fuck this. You know, like as if I want now my ex-wife to have some new tradie boyfriend or, you know, I'd, I'd form this whole picture in my mind sort of thing of like as if I want this bastard moving into my dream home with my kids that I'd built, you know. So that became my reason not to. And then so while I was away and all this stuff was going on, then, then I realised that my will um, would be not meeting my wishes anymore. So I'm like if I die now this is what's going to happen and they're no longer my wishes. I need to change that. So then my will actually became my strongest um, motivator to to not end my life and just go, that would be just easier to check out. So um, so for a number of years, like, um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to change my will and to leave that, um, to go, all my ducks are lined up now and I can bail. So that took me quite a while to get over it. But I kept coming back to, why didn't I? I'd look back and reflect and I'd go, well, I had a reason not to. And this thing, just this pattern just kept coming at me, Sam, of like, shit, when I was feeling like that and in the heat of the moment, whether I'd had six beers or ten beers or no beers or a huge fight or whatever, something might have happened in my world. And I kept finding one reason was enough not to. And often it was my kids or often it was something to do with my kids. But I'm like, if that's working for me, surely that's going to work for someone else when they're standing at the top of a bridge or ready to ram their car into a tree or something. So, um, 
you know, that in my mind, I started to develop a concept to go like, if that's worked for me, that could probably work for a heap of other blokes as well. And Stuart, was there any point during this time that you f- sought help, professional help at all? Uh, a couple of times, a couple of times I did. Um, and whilst you'd say that it was professional help, um, everything that I've ever done has been non-medicated. So I have a really addictive personality. So um, if if I'd been prescribed any medicines whatsoever, that'd be that'd be my new world. So you know, like if I, I live with a lot of pain physically, with through just life of um, injuries and accidents and, and and chronic arthritis at a, at an early age and stuff, and I just can't take painkillers because they're like tic tacs for me. It's just like if I have one this morning, it'd be like one this afternoon and then it's two tomorrow. So I've had to like sort of develop a way to deal with all of this without medicating because I know what will happen to me. I'll just become a, you know, dependent on those things and I don't want to live my life as a zombie because I'm actually a pretty productive person. So, And I've seen what happens to people that are, um, you know, that that's their world. Mm. So, um, so that also became part of the book to go, this is a non-medicated reason where you can actually help yourself. Yep. Okay. So you felt like the professional help you would seek would be medicated. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So so obviously, uh, mate, hitting rock bottom and clinging on to that one reason yep. why you wanted to survive. Yep. That was the the inspiration that's driven you to want to go out there and help others. Is that correct? Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. And, yep. and when when did you get the idea to write the book? Um, I, I couldn't say to like to the month, but like in that sort of that, that deep dark period afterwards, um, one of my um, favorite books is a book, it's called the Blue Day Book. I don't know if you've ever seen this oh. book. It's called the Blue Day Book. And it's just literally, um, it's a soft cover book. It's not very thick. It takes probably 15 minutes to read and it's a page with a quote or a sentence to each page, but it's a full story of like, life's not that bad. And so I always liked the concept of that book that you could sit on the dunny and read it in 10 minutes or open up any page and get something out of the book without having to read it cover to cover. And so that became part of my thoughts and going like, if, if, if I was to do my book, I want mine to be a bit like that because I felt like blokes will read something for 10 minutes perhaps some some blokes i think is a small minority will go away and read anything you can put in front of them but i think generally a lot of blokes couldn't be bothered to pick up a novel size self-help book mm. i think it's the yeah. it's the five percent of the population and it's the 95 percent that that really need the help so uh, so you were inspired to take some action to help others that were going through something similar yep and and try and uh in encourage uh to uh, inspire them to find one reason of why they need to live why yep. they should live yeah that drove you to write the book which was i think you alluded to it was 50 pages when you when you wrote it it started out at about 50 pages i think and i think it's 80 something now but it's still only a small book but it's it ended up more than and then it got bigger and then i had to cut it back down again so yeah. and so what year did you did you take the initiative to write the book uh, probably four years ago I okay. wrote it and then I sat on it and I was scared of my own book and um, scared of it being released 
and I was in fear of what my kids might say about their dad producing a book like this and that they'd know a bit more truth, I guess, about what was actually going on inside my head through all this period. So um, I had a big fear mm. about that. Then I had a fear um, about uh, what the boy's mum might try and do in regards to the book in terms of perhaps wedging us and things like that. So I had, a, I had some substantial um, hurdles to overcome in, in my own head anyway. They were my yeah. stories, but that was what I was telling myself. So four years ago, you wrote the book, you sat on it for a while. What, what drove you to want to then get it published? Um, so I, I tried a couple of times to take it to the, to the next level and I just couldn't. And then um, I enrolled at, uh, at uni locally here and I started to get better at using their computers and things. And I'm like, I know I can actually do some of this myself. So I really never, I could use a computer, but I wasn't one to sit down and, and start setting out documents and things. And so the uni had fantastic computers. I'm like, I chucked my memory stick in and just started turning it into a Word document at least. And then um, through, uh, through my contacts, um, uh, there's a local chick locally down where I am. And I just handed it like the thing to it, like it was like 50, 50 pages stapled together. And I said, see what you can do with that. And as what seems to be happening in part of the pattern, Sam, is like the people that I get surrounded with that have been helping me, we've all got mental health issues. So it turned out um, that she also has her own sufferings. And so she loved the book and the story. So she was really passionate about, like, look, we've got to get this out. This is a good thing. So she delivered me my first draft and I've gone like, oh, my book's alive. So from then onwards, perfecting it was still a lot of work, but easy. Yeah. And the inspiration behind the pocket size, I mean, for people that haven't seen it, it's it's really only a couple of inches long. Yeah, it's a packet. So it's like the size of a pack of Winnie Blue just about, yeah. which is sort of in my mind also what I thought blokes might um, might be happy to accept as a, as a book and a gift is that if they can fit a packet of smokes or um, um, their phone in their pockets. There's no reason why they couldn't put this book in their pocket. So it's small enough to conceal if you're not, if you don't want people to know that you're reading it. Of yeah, course, and and to gift it, and to give it to people. Yeah, which was which is a big part of why you've written it as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I'd say, most of my books are bought by someone who's intending on giving it to someone else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's an amazing thing, and I've flicked through a couple of pages. I haven't read it all yet, but it's uh, it's truly amazing, and and I think it makes it, what a great tool that you've created, and it's working. It's like it sort of shocked me a bit. I knew that it would, but I didn't expect it to work so well so quickly. So when did you launch? When did you actually launch it? Like twenty nineteen or something? No, like last year. I said it. I didn't. I didn't really launch it. Like I just ordered all the books and gone. Okay, I'll need to try and get rid of these. And COVID was on, so um. So you couldn't go to anywhere? I, I couldn't go anywhere and promote the book and, and, and I didn't really know how to promote it and I didn't want to go through um, a publisher. And so I just thought, well, I'll have a crack at doing it myself. So I chucked some ads on Facebook and um, to promote the book and it exploded, like literally exploded. Yeah. yeah. So now how many books do you think you've sold or given out? Or uh, I'm pretty close to 10,000 now in, wow. in, since... Or uh, say, I think... Not even a year. I th yeah, I, th I sold the first few when they arrived to just friends and family in July last year and then I sat on them for like nearly two months knowing well, I don't know what to do with the books sort of thing. 
And then so towards the end of September, um, I chucked uh, some ads on Facebook and, you know, against my f- close network of friends and they're like, oh, no, that, whatever, I'm just like, oh, well, Mars will put a bad up, a bad ad up rather than no ad and see what happens and it worked like a treat. So we pulled the ad down and then fine-tuned a few things and then put the ad back up and then it just it just kept going and then it morphed into a private group where I think there's about 900 people now that have all had access to the book and they all counsel each other informally in a yeah. private group on, on Facebook and things. And so, yeah, I'd say things started to kick off in October last year. It's a very timely tool as well, but was it always written for blokes or is it something that, you know, anyone can pick up? And- um, it's a good question that. So everything that's inside it is, it's universal. It doesn't, it's not age dependent it's not gender gender dependent any of that sort of stuff um certainly the appearance of it looks like it's a a book for blokes but surprisingly 90 percent of the people that are buying my book are females and and they're buying them for kids boys and girls partners blokes whoever and so um i've had i've had feedback saying when are you bringing out a girl's version i'm like well I don't know. I'm not a girl, and I don't know necessarily whether I can relate into that part as well. Um, so, the book to me doesn't have any any gender, even though it's written by a bloke, and and it was intended to go to blokes. It's like it's the same message. Yeah, uh, man, it's it's incredible. Tell me about also the coin. What's what's the coin? I can't remember where I was, and it wasn't that long ago. Say in the last six months or something, but I saw like a, what do you call it, a commemorative, I can try and say that, commemorative coin. And, and I went like, oh, what a good idea that is. So anyway, being the type of person that I am, I'm like online, start looking for different things, found a supplier, gave, um, uh, as I usually do, a hand-drawn sketch to, uh, to the design lady that I use. Next minute, she sends something back that I've gone, you're kidding and um because mine looked pretty shitty what i'd done with a pen sort of thing and so then i flipped um the design to to a factory they do what they do and three weeks later i had like this heavy little carton of coins but it was just designed for like if you can't carry your book around or you want something else you can just keep this and the coins are really heavy is you can just keep a coin in your pocket and just carry one around with you. And if you wanted to even just love someone like that, the, the amount of parents that have bought them um, a coin just for their kids, just to go, here's, a, here's a, um, a coin. And so what I hear back is that they're actually sitting on bedside tables as much as anything. And then it's just a, I think it's a discreet acknowledgement that we know that you, how you're feeling and, and the coin's just like, I think like a visual yeah. sort of memory hook. Like an anchor. A, an anchor and an acknowledgement that we're here. Yeah. So you've got the book, you've got the coin. So these are tools that people, the book obviously takes you through a process yep. where you work through it and you write down stuff. There's yep. areas in the book where you can write your own answers to things. Yep. Uh, so that's a tool to actually give people, uh, bring that awareness as to what is the one thing that's important for you right now. Yep. What would happen if you would leave this world, this sort of thing. Yep. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's one tool. Then on the other hand, you've got the, the coin that actually anchors that one reason, which yep. says on it, beautiful coin, so yep. it's just one reason. 
what 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 else is in store for you? I guess I'm I'm used to sort of like definitely doing things differently, and and I think that I'm a solution based type of person. So I don't disagree with what's happening on in the mental health space in that sense. I just think that there's a lot that they could be doing that they're not doing, and it doesn't need to be expensive. And so I feel like um, regional Australia and rural Australia really misses out on lots and lots of things to do with mental health in terms of access to services and what do you do in that brief moment and, and all different things. And like, you know, I've sat on some of these symposiums since my book and, and listened to other people speak and, and the rural area really stands out that guys just don't know where they fit in and they don't know who to talk to and they don't know where to go and then sometimes there's nowhere to go. So um, we're, we're well advanced in actually producing um, our, a, a mental health newspaper that's going to be free and distributed um, Australia-wide. And so I've spoken to um, the, what do you call it, like the big printing play, places and it's named, it's websites done. Um, oh. It's like all we've got like I think about our first 30 articles already written and so we're going to print um quite a few thousand of those as a first bundle and and go and do it i'm going to chuck them in my van and go do a run probably up to like um townsville and back and put them in places and just come back slowly and see whether they've been taken and things but it's literally a a paper where i sort of visualize a bloke might be sitting at the barbers or a sports club and the whole thing's going to have stories of like self-help and how they can help themselves and, and, and resources and, and things like that, that, you know, the newspaper might end up at like, um, you know, the men's shed, for example. Yeah. And so that's sort of the next um, thing that, you know, what's that? I can't remember who said it, but it's like bite something off and then bite something too big and then chew like hell, whatever, whatever that person. It's, it's a bit like that. It's okay. like I've created a bit of a monster with the paper, but I think um, it's going to shock lots of people in a good way from like corporate and government to go it's actually not that expensive to do what i'm doing why aren't we doing it so yeah. um and the paper's going to get print it's for it's getting printed out at broken hill wow. um so that's where it's going to like that's its its origin's going to be so i'm going to have to drive out to origin uh, sorry out to broken hill and pick up the first bundles and things but i felt like i wanted to support um a small paper that was also struggling uh, yeah. through COVID and it all ties into the story and then find places of where I can start dumping them on the way back and hopefully it takes off. So And so the model around that is people will just buy them, is that correct? No, the paper will be free. Paper's free. Yeah, so I'm just going to um, pay for that out of proceeds of the book and, and try and fund that myself and then hopefully along the way I might pick up some advertisers um, but effectively I'm going to do it all off my own back and just see what happens and I think um, in a pretty in a pretty short time frame when people realise that that's actually a good vehicle and a good way to like be in regional and rural communities and so that these blokes that are at bowls clubs and footy clubs or pubs or wherever, like they've got actually got something they can pick up and read rather than just a folded brochure that says, here's how to help yourself. It's like, I feel like those papers will get kept. And is the paper... Uh, educational is it awareness raising is it um, lived experience stories it's it's everything so we're, when when we're sitting down and planning it it's uh, it's 32 pages the first edition wow. and um, it's going to have a bit of everything in there like because there's going to be rural kids that are um, that are gay and don't know who to talk to so there'll be like mm-hmm. topics covered in that there'll be 
um, things for girls in there. There'll be things for teenagers in there. There'll be Indigenous things in there. It's just sort of like, and basically it'll all be based on lived experiences and, and some of the people that I've met since my book that are now on board as, as some of the um, the writers are like phenomenal people in Australia. Like some some eyebrows were raised when they see some of the names of the people on the articles that are coming into the paper. It's just like there'll be instant credibility with some of who some of those people are. That's great. Mm, it's really cool, but it's it's a big job. It and when you've job. got depression, um, I can't do things fast sometimes. Some days I can do 20 hours and smash out a ton of stuff and then other days I just need to sit in the corner and do nothing for three days. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's one of those types of journeys or rides that I'm on is that one of the, I guess the side effects of having depression is that when you go down, you just don't want to do a thing. And, and is this is this consuming all of your time between just one reason and pretty much yeah yeah That's pretty much incredible yeah yeah Stuart, where can people go to get the book? Just to the website, justonereason.com.au. And and how can they get their hands on a paper? Obviously, you're going to be driving in Queensland. Up We're and not down. sure yet. They're still like. Is I'm, there a digital version? Uh, there will be. Um, a digital version, but we'll probably get it all ready, typeset to go for, for the paper version first. Is okay. and then we'll see what happens. We'll gauge the response from that, and um, who knows? Hopefully, I'm right. I think I am. I really think I am. There's this, this, there's nothing out there for people to pick up that's non-tabloid and not full of bullshit, and it's yep. just like a black and white, literally newspaper. And I think people keep it. Stuart, what's the outcome? that you're, you're striving to achieve with all this? Um, I think like when, when all the stuff with COVID was going on last year, um, some of my other things in my background is like I have like almost a photographic memory for like for data and numbers and things. And, and, so, and I have really, really good maths even though I never went to school. So I watch how much is getting spent on the COVID response and, and I don't, not support that, but I'm like, crikey, if a, if a fraction of that went into mental health and homelessness and, and other things, like we could actually, to use that term that's, to answer your question, is like we could actually flatten the suicide curve. We really could have. Like if we get fed income as a world and as a government locally, like 100% we can make a difference. Mm. And, and I'm really passionate about some of those sorts of things. Like, and I believe, I be, I believe that... That re- the road to recovery for many people just starts with a roof over their head. Yeah. And, and what's your thoughts on the funding model? I mean, there is a lot of money that's gone into mental health in the last year, um, predominantly to the large organisations. But yep. uh, I mean, as a as a small startup, someone that's out there doing it with minimal resources, uh, mate, it's a hard slog. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a hard slog, and I guess when you see some of the waste of what you hear about and things, you're just like going, "Bloody hell, what I could do with a hundred grand compared to what you guys do with a hundred grand's like a round of drinks in yeah. comparison." So, you know, I I know for certain that mine's like what I'm doing, Sam is like it's instant. It's not sort of it takes a, a week to get used to the book or anything like that. It's just like it's happening, it's on the spot, you read one page and it might be enough already that's a game changer for you and it's just like I feel when you're in that sort of that moment and you're not going well, it's like that's what you need is is at the moment, you know, some people 
can't get in to see a psychologist or someone for two months or three months or six months or it's their kids and they can't do anything other than present at an emergency department. So I guess that's the big vision is just to be able to help as many people as I possibly can in a minute. Mm. It's, uh, I mean, it's amazing what you're doing uh, and it, it just goes to show that with a will uh, and, a, and the drive, what's possible for someone to achieve yeah definitely in, in a very short amount of time yeah it's just a street smart approach to mental health i guess yeah yeah so you've, you've got the book which is more of a, a crisis like in a time of crisis yep flip through this read it do the exercises and uh, it, it's a it's a very good tool for that yep have are you hearing some success stories coming back yeah it's amazing that's the best part it's um yeah non-stop so um uh, last year, a mum wrote to me that um, her daughter had had um, three unsuccessful attempts and then she came across the book and, um, and, and asked when she was purchasing the book if I could put a note to her daughter in the book, which I did, and sent the book and, um, and she, she's like contacted me whenever it was like four days afterwards and she's like, going, this thing's a miracle. She has my daughter's written in the book she knows what she wants to do at school. She's already thinking about this. And so like hearing these sorts of things now, so, you know, and, and now I keep in contact with the um, the mum and the daughter a bit just via um, messenger. So things like that give you a fair bit of like a, a good injection. And then um, only, I think this is like, a, I mean, it comes in nearly every day, but some of the, the really cool stuff, for example, is um, pardon me, um, the Salvation Army, I've been taking my book and so um, someone through, um, uh, what do you call it, a person who was getting counselled by someone from the Salvation Army um, wrote uh, an email to the person and just said like, this is what the book's done for me. And so that person removed their details and sent it to me and said, that's amazing, like, yeah. You know, that this person was eight weeks ago suicidal that they'd now built built themselves up to six to six reasons and the the person had, from the salvos had been to their house and seen the book and the person's now proud showing here's the things that i've done within the book and so i asked whether or not i could reuse you know with that without the person's name mm. what they'd written and they're going oh, oh i don't really think so like you know it's probably not the right thing to do and whatever else so Lo and behold, like four days ago, um, the person wrote again to the person at the Salvation Army and said, this book's been so good. If you need to use what I wrote to you to publish and help the person sell more books, tell them to use it. So it's like, oh. So then the Salvation Army wrote to me again and just said, like, it's yours, go for it. That's what that's, that's, that's the wishes of the reader. So yeah. they, all those things are like, good. Is there the possibility that organizations are buying these and, and like the salvos lifeline you've got no idea spaces it's um places like uh lifeline have started to take the book um new south wales health have taken the the book like and and that's growing um salvos are taking it um uh, an organization in melbourne um that's in gippsland bought 500 books just wow. sent through an email and said we want 500 books and um, then there's places that are fantastic, like um, um, like Santos, the, like the, the mining company. Yeah. They've been buying swags of books to send up to Darwin to all the people that are working offshore. 
So um, then there's like companies that have got 20 employees. Like I, I, I couldn't list the names anymore. Yeah. It's like it's long the list. There's schools, local ca- local councils, health departments within local councils are buying the book. It's um, it's pretty cool. It's really cool. It's it's truly uh, inspirational to hear what you're up to. It must be something that you're so proud of. It's unreal. Like my and w- one of the things that's come up, Sam, is um, is that for all the the discussion that seems to be out there that men don't talk uh, enough and don't seek help and those sorts of things is I'm actually seeing an amazing pattern that teenage boys do talk. And so I've had several experiences very, very close to home already where my book's been requested by a friend of a friend and it's been given to a 17-year-old that's off the deep end in, in a few ways, maybe with alcohol or drugs and things. And then uh, two weeks ago, perhaps, uh, my son approached me and said one of his friends is, is um, cutting himself and having a, having a pretty hard time about some things in his world. And um, so uh, my boy asked whether or not he can give him a book. So this sort of thing's like probably really, really sort of like got wet my whistle a bit, Sam, that, that teenagers are helping teenagers. And I never really expected that to happen. I thought that it'd be a parent giving a book to a kid yeah. saying, read this, but they're actually getting it for themselves and sharing it around. And um, and those stories are like really, really cool. That That means that like we can change things and it started at an earlier age rather than trying to help 50-year-olds. Well, Stuart, it's been, uh, mate, what a great conversation. I thank you for your time. Is there anything you want to say in closing? Is there any um, any last sort of uh, comments you want to make? My opening statement in my book, I think, will probably drop a clue as to where this could end up going okay. um, in, in, in the near future. So, And I think that that's just a matter of time and it's you know it's sort of it's a it's a it's a it's a rather than a big slap it's a gentle slap i guess to government mm. to go what inspired my book is that the government just doesn't do enough in the mental health space so that inspired part of the book so i guess um i'm looking forward to one day rather than me trying to bang their door down i'm hoping that at some point in time someone will actually knock on my door from high up in government and say what other things could we be doing yeah well, you're a man who's taken action uh, and taking it in, in his own hands and, and a true leader, uh, leading the way, not waiting for things to be done and not making excuses, getting out there and getting it done. Mate, I wish you all the best with the with the paper when that launches um, and obviously with the books, it sounds like there's definitely some yep. momentum there. Uh, and listeners, if you have the chance, go to the website, one, um, just one reason.com.au yep. uh, and look it up and, uh, and see for yourself the great work that Stuart's up to. So Stuart, thanks very much. Cool. Thanks, Sam. Nice to chat to you. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.